Father, we thank you for your love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. For God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's that kind of love that breaks down walls. It's that kind of love that tears down the lies that we believe and brings the freedom that Christ paid for. This morning, God, we invite you to tear down lies in our mind. Let your love do what only your love can do. Let your presence be in this place. And I pray for each and every one of us, God, especially those of us that are feeling broken today, those that are feeling heavy, those that are feeling oppressed, those that are feeling broken and torn down, Father, that they would encounter your love, encounter your presence, and receive your truth today, God. I thank you that in spite of their circumstances, God, you love them. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear because you are with us. Somebody here this morning needs to be reminded that God is with you. And that's the only truth you need to know. That's the only truth that you need to receive today. That truth on its own will sustain you through this valley. So, Father, I prophesy that promise over our church, God, that there would just be an awareness of your presence, God, that is just uh, resurrected in our hearts and minds and in this place today, that faith is stirred up in this room, God, and that rejoicing would erupt, Father God. And Jesus, like Paul and Silas, that the chains of oppression and addiction and insecurity and depression and mental health issues and sickness and pain, God would come rattling off and we would be set free. We'd step into the life that you paid for us on the cross. We receive it, Father God. Let our rejoicing, let our praise be a weapon that causes the enemy to tremble. We thank you, Father. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give him one more shout of praise before we open up his word today? Praise God. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us in that powerful time of praise and worship and rejoicing. Man, it truly makes a difference, doesn't it? Well, good morning and welcome back. It's so good to see you guys here today. As I said before, I'm so glad you chose to join us today because I believe that God has a word for you. Can you turn to your neighbor, touch him on their shoulder and say, God has a word for you. 
And one more time, just because I don't want to miss an opportunity to connect with any of you. If you have not yet done this, please fill out a Connect card. We would love to capture your information so that we can reach out to you and get to know you a little bit better. So please take some time to do that. Also at your tables, um, or actually not at your tables, on your way in, you should have received what we're now calling our Go Deep Guides. I like that. Anybody else like that? I think that's cool because we're going deeper. And so these are these little handouts. We call them our go deep guides. If you don't have one of those, we have an usher standing by right now. Just raise your hand real quick so you can get one and follow along with us. Um, And what this is for is for you to follow along. There's a space on the front to take notes. So anything that God speaks to you today, we encourage you to write it down so you don't forget. How many of you think you should remember what God says, right? There's also some questions in there and some exercises today that you can take home so that you can go deeper. And you can, you can say, okay, I heard what the pastor said, but now, Holy Spirit, I want to give some extra focus and time for you to speak directly to my specific situation. Sometimes we hear a great word at church and we walk away going, man, that was a good sermon. But it doesn't always translate to us applying it to our lives. And so this is a tool that helps us when we go home to say, okay, so I heard this great sermon, but now what? What am I going to do? And let me tell you, that is what unlocks the power of God's word. God's word is powerful, but we rob it of its power when we don't apply it to our lives. And so this is just a tool because we believe so much in the word of God that we want to get it deep, deep, deep into your soul today. And so we encourage you to use these to follow along. And of course, we use these in our life groups to uh, come together and discuss what the Holy Spirit's speaking to us. And so that is awesome. All right, so here we go. This is part four uh, in the conclusion of our series called Mind Wars. Uh, We know that war is a reality in our world today. It's something that we talked about at the beginning of our gathering today. We prayed And uh, there's war that's happening both in Israel, between Israel and and, and Gaza and Hamas. And there's, there's a war that's taking place in the Ukraine. There's a lot of war going on. But the truth is, there is no battle more important than the battle that takes place in our mind. You know, every action, both good and bad, begins as a thought. Amen? That's how we operate as human beings. And if we don't master our thoughts then we become a slave to our emotions. Anybody ever felt, felt like a slave to your emotions? Like, I, just, I keep doing these stupid things because in the right, it feels right, uh, it feels fair, it feels justified, but then afterwards, I have all this regret. I put my foot in my mouth. I sounded stupid. I overreacted. That's because we're losing the battle in our mind. Uh, there's probably no greater level of uh, defeat that takes place in our mind than when we begin to panic. Anybody been there before? Panic is when you become so aware of everything that's wrong around you that it closes in on you. Uh, It makes me think of, uh, I was riding a a roller coaster at Six Flags Magic Mountain. It was the Goliath. Anybody ever, ever been on that before? They have this one really long, long turn. It feels like it lasts forever. And I don't know how many G's it is, but there's a lot of force. 
And it's the first time in my life that I actually blacked out on a ride. And as I was going through it, uh, this, t- this tight bank turn, I literally began to see darkness closing in and I was losing my vision until all that was left was a little tunnel of light. And I don't think I completely lost uh, consciousness, but I almost lost my sight. And when I came out of that, I began to breathe heavy and I said, that was freaky. Ever since then, I've struggled with getting nauseous on rides. Not before that, but it's like that ride broke me, right? I think that's how panic works. It's when all of our circumstances, and not just our circumstances, but our awareness, our hyper-awareness of those circumstances and our interpretation of those circumstances begins to close in on us until finally all we can see is black and we can no longer think, we can only react. There's, there's, there's certain things that cause me to panic, and this is my struggle. One of the things that causes me to panic is anytime I feel powerless or completely out of control. Anytime when I think I should have control over a situation or another person and I realize I have zilch, it causes me to panic. Another thing that causes me to panic is when I feel deeply disrespected by someone uh, who uh, you know, I want to have respect from. So in this case, it's a lot of times it's with my children, right? When I don't feel respected by my children, I, I tend to get overwhelmed. They should respect me, and they're not responding to my correction uh, with respect, but with disrespect. And, and then I've tried the consequences. The consequences don't work. And so what do I do? What's next? And I start to panic. And there's been moments where in that panic, I've flipped out, just being honest with you. And when panic takes over, we become a complete and total slave to our emotions. Now, have you ever heard somebody say, it's not time to hit the panic button, right? Or they've posed the question, is it time to hit the panic button? I was listening to the radio last night on the way back home from our four softball games. Can you believe that I can still walk, right? (laughs) We played four softball games. I somehow managed to not pull a muscle. So that's a miracle right there. If you don't believe there's a God, there's the proof. And on my way home, we had pretty much missed the Diamondbacks game, but they, were, they had it playing in the dugout technology, right? And I'm listening to you know, the reason why we lost, and they asked the question, is it time to hit the panic button? And what they meant by that was, is it time to panic? But here's what's ironic about that phrase, to hit the panic button. Did you know hitting the panic button is actually a good thing? The button exists for times of panic. So a panic button is not something that causes panic. A panic button is something that you have to fall back on when you're panicking. When you're completely out of control and you don't know what to do, you push the panic button and in, 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 in some cases, maybe it's a panic room and it, and it locks you in so you're safe and it keeps the bad and the danger out. The panic button is a good thing. And so um, don't push the panic button. Why not? That's what it's for, right? So a panic button is not used to activate panic, but it's what you push when you are panicked. Panic is what happens when you're overwhelmed, when you've had enough with your situations and your current circumstance. When the weight of your circumstances becomes so heavy, you can no longer bear it. 
And as I said before, it happens when we become so aware of our problems that we become completely, listen to this, unaware of God's presence. I've never met anyone who, who in a moment of clarity, of just understanding just how near God is, that was panicking. And sometimes when our uh, focus is all on our problems, we become completely unaware of God's presence. And the only thing that can stop us from giving in to panic is a recognition that God is there in the midst of it. So at our tables, we're going to have a quick discussion. We're going to ask these questions. What situation or thought most often causes you to panic? And secondly, how do you address those moments of panic in your life? So we're going to discuss this for a few minutes at our tables, and then we're going to come back and I'm excited to find out what God's word has to say about it. Are you? Okay, some of you are. All right, let's talk. All right. Well, great discussion. Great discussion at our table. Trust you had a great discussion at your table as well. I want to tell you this morning, I want to share with you all that God has a panic button for each and every one of us to, to hit when panic takes over. And this is what it looks like. When in doubt, when overwhelmed with panic, rejoice. Philippians 4.4 says, rejoice in the Lord. And what's that word there, church? Wait, when? Wait, when? And again, I say, rejoice. Wow. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I shared this this morning in our prayer time that as a young person, this verse always confused me because the way I heard it in my mind was like Paul was looking at me when I'm feeling discouraged or sad and just saying, hey, be happy. Like, how is that helpful, right? Have you ever tried to cheer someone up that way? Like, hey, quit being sad. Be happy. Did that work? Was that effective? But We'll get into this a little bit later, but you know how sometimes um, something that's said carries a little bit more weight depending on who says it? Well, we'll get into that later, but Paul saying this um, captures our attention because he set quite an example of what it means to rejoice. So I took a closer look at the word rejoice. What does that mean? Because it can't just simply mean be happy, Right. Uh, because happy, how many of you have ever heard that said that, that happiness is, is circumstantial, right? It's just, it's based on like what happens to you, right? So happy happens. Um, and so, and then, and then you, maybe you've heard a pastor say, well, joy is different. Joy is something that comes from, you know, outside of you. It comes from the Lord. And so he's not just saying, hey, cheer up, Charlie. He's not saying, hey, just be happy. Put a fake smile on. But this word rejoice uh, comes from the root czar which means to be favorably disposed or leaning towards something. So having this positive lean, uh, this, this leaning towards God's favor. And the other part of that word, when you put it together, it means to delight in God's grace, to experience God's grace or favor, to be conscious for his grace. So let me reword this for you to make it simple. To rejoice 
is to intentionally lean towards joy by being conscious of God's grace. I want everybody to do this. I want you to lean forward towards me in your chair, okay, so we can get the visual. We're leaning towards Joe, I mean joy, right? You were leaning towards me. So which way are you leaning this morning? We, we kind of had that question last week or the week before, like a glass half full or glass half empty type of person. It's similar, right? Which way do you lean? And it's important to understand that just like I can choose to lean this way or to lean that way, I can choose to lean in towards joy or can I can choose to fall away from that. Um, and uh, so I coach football. I don't know if you guys knew that. I'm coaching Scholars Academy's uh, flag football team right now. And um, one thing that's always really funny to watch is kids try to backpedal, it's called. And what it is, is it's running backwards, right? Why do you do that? Because when you're playing defense and uh, you're in the, in the secondary, the defensive backs, you're covering receivers, you're trying to make sure they don't get open to receive the pass from the quarterback. The reason why you run backwards is so you can keep your eyes on the quarterback, especially in zone coverage. For those of you that don't care, just bear with me, right? But you keep your eyes on the quarterback, and you run backwards, and you can read his eyes. If he goes this way, you can break that way. If he goes this way, you can break that way. But here's the thing. There's not a lot of activities as a child that require you to run backwards, and so what you find is a lot of very awkward-looking uh, athletes trying to run backwards. And so we have this, this backpedal, and they, the, some people are just really slow, and they're like that, right? It's like really awkward. And other people start going fast, but they're like this. And what happens every single time, especially when they do it the first time, somebody falls over on their backside. And here's what happens. They fall over because they get their weight up too high and they're leaning backwards because that's what they do when they run forward, right? They lean into it running forward. The problem is if you lean back too far and you're in your back pedal, you're going to lose your balance and you're going to fall backwards. If you don't lean forward, you will fall back. Now write this down. If you're not leaning into joy, you will eventually fall back into despair. If you're not leaning into joy, you will eventually fall back into despair. And so we have a decision that we have to make today, church. Which way am I going to lean? Because if I'm not intentional, if I'm not choosing to rejoice, if I'm not choosing to have the joy of the Lord in my life, I will at some point stumble and fall back into despair. But God has given us the tools. He's given us this command. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us what it takes to be able to lean in and choose joy in every circumstance. But this doesn't come very naturally, does it? So what I hope to do for us this morning is to give you three panic buttons, all rejoice, but different ways to rejoice, uh, that will help you to lean into joy when life is hard. How many of you think this is practical and helpful for your life today? How can we lean into joy when life is hard? And so if you'll turn with me in your Bibles and follow along the screen, I want to open up by uh, giving a great object lesson of this uh, principle today, uh, the rejoice principle in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 
And to give you a little bit of context, this is about a man named Elijah. If you've ever heard of Elijah, let me hear you make some noise. Elijah was a bad dude, right? He was cool. (laughs) He was a prophet of God. And uh, what we're about to read is what takes place after he had just experienced an overwhelming victory. And the Bible teaches us that he he had this showdown, basically. Uh, as, a, as a youth, I used to fantasize about doing something like this, like, like calling forth all these uh, at my public uh, high school, right? Like, hey, if you don't believe God is real, line up over here. If you do believe God is real, line up over here. I'm going to call down fire from heaven, and he's going to prove that he's real, right? That's literally what Elijah did. And so he calls together all of the Baal worshipers, and he's like, okay, we're going to have two different altars, and there's going to be two uh, bowls that are sacrificed on these altars, and no one's allowed to use any matches, right? Or any, uh, you know, caveman style uh, fire making practices. But God is going to provide the fire. And so if Baal provides the fire, we'll all worship Baal. But if God provides fire, then we will all worship God. How many of you says, man, that is faith. (laughs) I wish I had faith like that. And so here he is. He's got this showdown. And the Baal worshipers are trying desperately to get the attention of Baal. And no fire is coming. So they result to these really weird pagan rituals where they start cutting themselves and making themselves bleed to to get the attention of their God. And and they're shouting and and they're dancing. And Elijah is so full of faith... You might even mistake it for cockiness. He starts talking smack. And he's just like, where's your God at? I don't understand. You know what? Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's, never mind. I won't go there. Right? And he's just mocking them. And he's like, where is your God? Then he takes it up a notch. And he's like, before I call down fire from heaven, I want you to dig a trench around this altar and I want you to fill it up with water. I want you to soak the altar with the water. I want, to, I want you to soak the sacrifice with the water. The Bible says he prayed to God and a pillar of fire came out of heaven. The fire was so hot, it says it licked up all the water and it even consumed the stone upon the altar. And so I'm just picturing nothing but this big crater that is left behind as the fire of God fell. What a great man of God. But here's what happens immediately following. And I can think of no better example in the Bible of how the battle in your mind is the most crucial battle. Now, he just won a very important battle in front of everybody But the battle he was about to face next was even more crucial to this. So here's what it says. So all this happened. Oh, and I forgot to say, he killed all the prophets of Baal. Yikes. That's, I'm thankful I don't have to do that, you know. (laughs) And uh, so it says here in uh, verse 1 of chapter 19, 1 Kings, when Ahab got home, that's the king at the time, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Now, how many of you know when husband goes home, and tattles to wife. You better watch out, right? You know what they say about a woman scorned, right? He told Jezebel everything, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. 
May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. How would this great man of faith who just saw fire come down from heaven respond to the threat of a woman? Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. So he runs in fear. He secludes himself. And now his mind begins to uh, wage war on his soul. Any ever been there before? You begin to panic. The first thing you do is you seclude yourself. You hide from the ones that may be the only ones that would speak truth and life into your situation because you think you need to be alone. And you've got yourself exactly where the devil wants you because in your isolation, he begins to bring his assault upon your mind. Then it says in verse four, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed. Isn't that great? He prayed. What did he pray? That he might die. Wow. What would cause such a mighty man of God to spiral into despair so quickly? Panic had set in on the man of God. He prayed, which is great, right? But he prayed that he might die. But he did pray. So how do you rejoice when life is hard? I think it starts with prayer. Number one, say it. Say it. Two parts of saying it. Not only do you say and verbalize your rejoicefulness. Is that a word? Just made that up, right? Your thankfulness. But sometimes you have to say what's really on your heart. This is probably not the prayer that Elijah should have prayed, right? Or is it? If the Psalms teach us anything, it's that sometimes rejoicing starts with lamenting. Sometimes rejoicing starts with a list of complaints. But here's the difference. Who are you bringing your complaints to? Are you bringing your complaints to yourself as you stew over them and replay them in your mind? Are you simply bringing um, your complaints to others and you learn very quickly that misery loves company and that negativity can spread to those around you? Because here's the deal. God will turn your complaining into thanksgiving when you bring it before him. But complaining to others will sometimes just add to your misery. So before you take the time to complain to others, make sure you come and complain to God. But let's hear exactly what Elijah says to God. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is, I have had enough, Lord. I've had enough. I've been through a lot. This is all I can take. So he says, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died but the Lord said to him what are you 
doing here, Elijah? I love that. Oftentimes, I will uh, jokingly and sarcastically give someone a hard time and say, what are you doing with your life? You know? I feel like that's what Jesus, or what God is saying right here. He's saying, what are you doing with your life? Like, what are you doing here? Like, uh, have you lost complete perspective? What are you doing here? It kind of reminds me of Saturday morning cartoon theology, right? I don't even know how much that's a thing now today. But when I was a kid, Saturday mornings were about a bowl of Lucky Charms and Popeye the Sailor Man or the Thundercats, or He-Man, right? Power Rangers, right? That was Saturday morning. And I picked up on some theology there from Popeye. I'm convinced that he's an allegory for Christianity. And so Popeye had this saying, I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. For those of you that are too young to know who Popeye is, you're missing out. And so what he, what he would do is he would acknowledge uh, that what must be done could not be done in his own strength. That just as regular Popeye, he couldn't overcome his enemies. And so it's in this moment that Popeye pushes his panic button, which is kids, eat your greens, a can of spinach. And so... He always had this unique way of opening the can. You know, sometimes it was just squeezing it. The spinach shoots up in the air and he gulp, swallows it. And what happens is the spinach appears to travel throughout his whole body. And so you have this bulge, kind of like a snake swallowing something large. And it goes, and it goes, bing, 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 every part of him until everything just experienced this expansion and his muscles grow larger and suddenly he's endued with power to defeat his enemy. See, prayer works the same way. Have you reached your limit today? Is life just too much right now? Open up a can of prayer. Because when we pray, God deposits something within us and it strengthens every part of us. It travels throughout our body and it gives us all the strength that we need to overcome our enemy, the devil. This is what happens to Elijah. He had had enough. God, I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. He became so aware of his problems, as I said earlier, that he lost his awareness of God's presence. Let me tell you something uh, very, very simple but profoundly true. If you don't know God is near, you won't talk to him. If you don't know God is, is, is there, you won't talk to him, you won't pray. But he does something right here. He cries out to God in prayer. And what he prayed was not truth. (laughs) What he prayed was not life-giving. But the good thing is he directed it towards God, who already knew what was in his mind, already knew what was in his heart. Some of you have some thinking this morning that's not true or helpful, but you need to bring it before God anyway. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? 
everything, even the negative thoughts that are running free in your mind, um, even the lies that you seem to be dwelling on and treating them as if they are truth. Pray about everything. Not only does prayer change things, but check this out. Did you know that prayer changes the physical shape of your brain? This is amazing and fascinating. We've been spending some time over these last few weeks talking about neuroplasticity. You guys remember that? That's your brain's ability to literally change shape and to develop new thinking grooves, ruts, trenches called um, uh, neuropathways. Check this out. According to Dr. Carolyn Leaf and her book called Switch on Your Brain, she says, it has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. How amazing is that? And what that reminds me is that God has designed us in such a way that our physical brain will respond to truth. Our physical brain will respond to prayer. And so 12 minutes, it says, of daily focused prayer, because this, can't, this has to go beyond your bedtime, God bless so-and-so prayers, right? But it has to be daily focused on it, intentional, passionate prayer. We must have focused and faithful prayer. But the second part of this verse in Philippians 4, 6, see, I left off before I finished. It tells us that we're not done. Once we've prayed about everything, once we've brought our complaints to God, our worries to God, our fears for God, we only are halfway through the battle. But the next step is this. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Bringing full circle to what he said in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He doesn't say, pretend like nothing is wrong and ignore everything negative in your life. This is not mind over matter. This isn't choosing to acknowledge that things are jacked up in life. But this is taking your complaints before God, allowing him to change your perspective and turn your complaints into rejoicing. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. In other words, acknowledge what's right. We talked about this a little bit last week. Acknowledge what's right. Uh, thank him for the times he said no. Uh, thank him for the things that he did in the pain. I'm telling you, and I've said this over and over again, church, but I'm so thankful for some of the pain and the suffering that I've been through in life because let's be honest, uh, I didn't always like who I was before. There were some changes that needed to take place, and I'm so grateful those changes took place. They wouldn't have happened without suffering. And so we thank him for all he's done, and I'll add, we thank him for the things that he hasn't done because he knew better. He had a higher plan. See, we can be real with God, and we can bring our complaints to him, but the key to leaning into joy so you don't fall back into despair is when your complaints turn into giving thanks. If it doesn't turn to Thanksgiving, then it only adds to our misery. Sometimes we like to call it venting. I just need to vent right now. But if your venting just leads to other people venting with you, 
It's not doing you any good. In fact, there's a psychological study that's done. I, I preached it in a different sermon, so I can't remember the resource, but it was from an article in Psychology Today. And he said, you know what? Venting isn't as helpful as people say it is. In fact, most of the time, it just seems to add to the problem. And Elijah's going to show us how this works. Because if it doesn't turn to thanksgiving, it adds to your misery. So here's what happens if you skip down to verse 10. It says, Elijah replied to God, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You ever had a conversation with God like that? First this happened, I did exactly what you said, and then this happened, and then it led to this, and then this person did this, and I would do this, but the people won't listen. I, I would do this, but my children, blah, blah, blah. I would do this, but my spouse, blah, blah, blah. And now this happened, this happened, and here I am, God, I don't know what to do. Panic, panic. And this is what's happening. Notice the way Elijah recounts all of his problems in a way that one builds upon another, it escalates, and it reaches a breaking point. I like to use the term snowballing. This is the snowball effect, right? If a snowball begins to roll down the side of a mountain, it gains momentum and it gets larger and larger. It goes faster and faster until it either reaches rock bottom or something intervenes. Did you know your thoughts work the same way? At some point you have to make a decision to stop tumbling down the hill in your mind. At some point, if you allow these thoughts to continue to go, they're gonna get bigger, they're gonna get heavier, they're gonna go faster, and those ruts begin to be formed in your physical brain, and they get so deep that it becomes easier and easier to think those negative thoughts that produce panic in your life until you decide enough is enough, and I'm going to intervene, I'm gonna challenge these thoughts, I'm going to replace them with truth. I'm going to apply the principles in God, God's word to stop this downward spiral from taking place. So how can I effectively put a stop to my snowballing? Well, here's an exercise given to us in Craig Groeschel's book. It's called The God Box. And I brought with me a God Box today. See? God Box. It is these... Uh, impressively creative illustrations that you've all come to depend on um, on a Sunday morning. But I love this. Craig writes in his book, and I'm telling you right now, if you'll, if you'll capture this, this is powerful. And, and, and listen, I'm not a big symbol person. Um, I am in communicating uh, on a, you know, in my sermons, obviously. But when it comes to me personally, uh, I have a history of not getting a lot out of these symbolic things that we do. But what I've found is it kind of depends on how broken you are <laughs> and how lost you are and how discouraged you are. Because when you're, when, when, when you're where Elijah is and you're like, I've had enough. This is all I can take. Sometimes it takes something physical to switch on uh, the light of truth in your brain. And so this is the God box. And here's how it works. Every time you have a worry, a burden, a temptation, a repeated unhealthy habit, a sinful thought, a runaway crazy thought, and what you do is you write it down on a slip of paper or an index card like this. 
and you pray over it. So it could be like, hey, I'm constantly afraid I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to pray about it. Uh, my teenage daughter or son is driving me crazy. I don't know what to do with them. Write it down. Um, I want to get on my phone right now and look at websites and social media that I know I shouldn't because it's not good for me and it's a sin. I want to smoke so bad right now. I always assume the worst in my kids. Um, uh, I'm never going to change, so why should I even try? Um, I'm constantly angry with my spouse. I'm afraid my husband's going to leave me. I always end up alone in the end. Whatever that runaway thought is that has you crippled in a prison, you write it down and you pray and you tell God, I am no longer willing to allow this thought to run free in my mind. And so I confront this lie right now with the truth of your word and I give it to you. And what you do is you put it in the box and you move on. But that's not where it ends. What happens if you start to think that thought again? Here's the deal. In order to allow yourself to think that thought, you need to go back to the box, open it up, take that thought out again. Now, why would I do that? Because it's a practice. And I take that thought, and now that I've taken it out of the box, I have to be honest with God and say, God, I took this out of the box because I'm struggling to trust you with this. And I gave it to you, and I'm physically taking it out of the box because in my mind, I've already taken it out of the box. So God, I'm going to pray over this again. I'm going to declare your truth over my life. I'm not going to choose to believe this lie anymore, but instead I'm going to choose to believe the truth of your word. So God, I give this to you. And what you do is you repeat that process as many times as necessary. We're going to have a chance to do this together at the end today and kind of tie it into another exercise but what we learn from Elijah is the more attention he gave to his problems, the less aware he became of God's presence. I've said that a few times today, trying to get that in our heads. But rejoicing reminds us that God is still there. That's a powerful perspective. As a young boy, I was afraid of the dark, as I'm sure most of you were. But if I was in the dark, and I was holding my father's hand, that fear goes away. There's something about just being aware of God's presence that keeps panic from overtaking. As effective, though, as this is, it's sometimes hard to know where to start, isn't it? Have you ever tried to do that? I bet you there's some Christians in here that have tried to uh, give God thanks when you didn't feel thankful. Anybody ever try to do that? Have you ever just given up after like 10 seconds like God, uh, thank you for nice weather um i thank you that i have a chance to take a nap this weekend uh all right i got a lot of stuff to do i gotta go right it becomes difficult so might i suggest something that you sing it so number one you say it number two you sing it there's something about a song that unlocks rejoicing and gratitude in us. I think some of it is because God has blessed music, right, as a powerful tool. And some of it is sometimes you just need to read somebody else's lyrics. So earlier, uh, Tricia mentioned uh, Paul and Silas. 
they had just cast out a demon from this woman that was just kind of following them and harassing them. And finally, he's like, I'm fed up with this demon come out of her. Well, she lost her power to tell people's fortunes. And so the people that she was making money for got really angry. They took Paul and Silas. They whipped him. They beat him. They shackled the hands and feet and threw them in prison. And the Bible says here in Acts 16, verse 25, that around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and what? Singing. They were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. And as they begin to sing, the book of Acts tells us that there was a great earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken and the doors flew open. The chains rattled right off of their hands and their feet and they were able to walk out of the prison free men. If anyone had a good excuse to allow their mind to snowball, it would have been Paul. And let me remind you that the scripture I read earlier, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I said rejoice, was written by a man who after being bitten or beaten, uh, thrown into prison and chained because he did exactly what God had called him to do, found it in his soul and in his heart to sing praises to God. Why was he praising him? Because he likes prison? Because he thought the chains on his wrist and his ankles were a fashion statement? He was praising him because he knew that he was not alone in that prison. He knew that the presence of God was near. And as he began to sing, I believe he and Silas became even more aware that God was near. And that even though he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he doesn't have to fear because his God is with him and nothing else matters. And there's some people in here today that you need to recognize that God is with you. Nothing else matters. See, as a result of the singing, I believe first there was a change in Paul and Silas' thinking. Now, there's probably, I believe most definitely, that they habitually sing praises to God. And so God was taking uh, advantage of their neuroplasticity already, and they had already had healthy neuropathways that had been formed to just say, hey, this is our default not only do we praise God in the good times, but we praise him in the bad. But you better believe that, that um, even they being human, I bet when they first started to sing, maybe it was a little bit hard. But it, has it ever been hard for you? And then halfway in the song, you, you thought you had nothing to give. And halfway through the song, you're on your knees and you're weeping. And you're thanking God for his faithfulness. And you sense his presence is so near. Can we apply this to our culture today? I mean, how often have have we rolled into church on a Sunday morning and said, you know what, today I'm just going to sit in the back. Today I'm just going to go through the motions because I'm tired or I'm stressed or it's just been a long week. or, Or maybe we decide not to roll into church at all because I've just had a rough week. I just need a morning off. Let me tell you, does God suffer because you fail to acknowledge him? No. 
Is God, are like we feeding him and giving him nutrients with our praise so that he can continue to exist and be great and, and holy and everything? No, 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 no. You know who suffers when we fail to praise God? You know who suffers when we don't make gathering together a priority? You know who suffers when we don't pray and give thanks? You know who suffers when we, when we gather at God's house but we don't really give him a lot of effort in our worship? You suffer. Because God has given praise as a gift to you, as a weapon to you, as a tool for you to step out of darkness and into the light, to let the chains that are weighing you down come rattling off. It's a gift for you. And when you don't give God everything, you're selling yourself short and you're limiting what God wants to do in your life. I want to challenge this church that every time you gather, that you bring God your best praise, that you sing even if it's off key, that you make a joyful noise if that's all you can do, that you lift your hands even if you're a really reserved person, and you give God all that you have because in that obedience, not doing it as a show for anyone else, but doing it as a step of faith to say, God, I want to honor you in my worship today. That's when the presence of God shows up and rattles the chains that are weighing you down. There's a level of faith that can only be stirred within us when we choose to not only be thankful for what God has done, but to praise him simply because he's there through it all. Let, come on, let's give him some praise. Let's put this into practice. So just like prayer has an effect on your brain, so does praise. They both take advantage of the neuroplasticity of our brain. And this is how God has blessed music. Uh, music opens up our minds, opens up our soul to receive. But here's the catch. Um, as you sing, your mind will eventually come into agreement with what is being sung. You think it's important what we listen to? You think it's important what you're singing along to when you say, I just listen to the beat. I don't listen to the lyrics. Teenagers. That boy band that you worship. <clears throat> right? That, that song that everybody's dancing to at school. You start singing along. It's getting down into your soul. It's getting down into your mind. And it will have an impact on your life. And so we have to be careful what we listen to. But on the flip side, when we turn to music that we can sing along with, it comes into agreement with God's truth. Something powerful happens, something powerful takes place. In uh, Craig Groeschel's book, he writes this, that praise like prayer affects the amygdala, diminishing the, flight or the fight or flight mechanism, okay? So it has an impact on your panic. Listen to this. Worshiping God has been shown to decrease heart rate, blood pressure, blood glucose levels, and serum markers of inflammation. Praising and, worship, uh, praise, praising and worshiping God leads to quantifiable changes in brain volume and metabolism. Espe is it metabolism? Wow. Especially in the part of the brain called the cingulate cortex, which, listen to this, results in increased capacity for compassion, thinking, and feeling. So basically, the more the cingulate grows, the more empathetic you become. Have you ever stopped to think that through your praise and worship of God, that it's actually changing you? You're becoming more like Christ. I can have more empathy for others around me because I'm lifting up God and he's changing my brain. This is amazing. So now let's pick up where Elijah left off. 
He's snowballing, right? He began to pray. As he prayed, God reminded him of his presence, and then he commands him to stand before him on the mountain in silence. The third point is this. Shut up. Turn to your neighbor and say, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Sometimes we need to shut up, right? Yeah, I grew up Pentecostal, and, and as I sort of believe, started to believe that, like, getting what you want from God was about making enough noise, right? And if we just gather enough people in a room and we shout loud enough, then revival will come. But in reality, there are things that God wants to speak to us that we can't receive until we shut up. And so God says to Elijah, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, it says the Lord passed by in a mighty windstorm. Somebody say, that's loud. Hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. The Lord wasn't in the noise. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Somebody say, that's loud. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the noise. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was in the fire. Somebody say, that crackles. I don't know how loud that is. And after the fire was the sound of a gentle whisper. That's where God was found. See, this is counterintuitive for us. When things get loud, we feel like we need to match the level of the noise around us. Sometimes that's literally, sometimes that's just the noise in our mind. And so when circumstances go crazy, our brain goes crazy. But it's in those loud moments that we must quiet ourselves and lean in to hear his whisper. This was a powerful object lesson for Elijah. God was teaching him that in the midst of the storms, the shaking, the fires we face, he's still speaking. He doesn't wait till it's over. He's still speaking. We must quiet ourselves and lean in to hear his whisper. I want to invite you to lean in with me in just a few moments here. And in fact, would you go ahead, would you just, uh, well, first, go ahead and grab one of those note cards in that glass jar. You can grab a pen if you need it as well. Don't write anything on it yet. But we're going to take a moment to lean in today. So the question goes like this, and I want you to consider this with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. What circumstances or dynamics exist in your life right now? that regularly create panic for you? Is there any place in your life right now where you would say you've had enough and are at the end of your rope? What I want you to do is when those thoughts come up, I want, to, I want you to go ahead and write those down on those cards, whatever that thought may be. God, I'm constantly living in the fear of not being able to pay my bills. God, I'm constantly living in the fear that my children will never come back to you. God, I'm constantly living in the fear that I'm gonna be alone. Whatever it is, just write that down. 
Jesus. Thank you, Father. Now let's just take some time to lean in and listen. Father, I pray that in this moment of silence, that our ears would tune into your voice. And you would help us to understand why these thoughts are causing panic in our lives. And that you would give us the truth to replace those lies and those thoughts. So right now, Father, we lean in and we listen. today, I just want to extend an invitation to everyone in the room and everyone watching online today. Perhaps you're going through a storm right now. Perhaps you feel like your life has been marked by storms. But you feel like maybe today you're hearing God's whisper for the first time, calling you to lean in for the first time in order to begin a relationship with Him, to receive forgiveness for your sins to repent from your ways and to choose to live your life for Him. Believing in Him so that you might have eternal life in Him. If that's you today and you say, I'm not a Christian yet, but I sense His call today. And I want to become one today. If that's you, can you just lift up your hand in the room today? Say, I want to give my life to Jesus for the very first time. Anybody in the room? So I want to invite everyone in the room to pray this prayer with me. Those of you watching online, if you're receiving Christ for the first time today, repeat this prayer after me. Can we all repeat this prayer together? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me in spite of all my problems, all my flaws, all the sin in my life. I come to you today laying down my life I've lived it for myself as long as I can remember. But today I give it to you and I choose to live for you. Forgive me of my sins because you're the only one who can. Save my soul. Come live in my heart. Holy Spirit, I choose to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name.
for the rest of you, here's what we're going to do. I'd like to invite you to stand. This is how we're going to close today. After we're done, we'll move into offering and some announcements. But right now, I want you to take those cards. And if you think of anything else, you can write something down too. But I'm going to put the God box right here. And I do encourage you to actually do this at home too. Make one. Uh, make one that you can open up again, right? So that we can do what we talked about. But today we're going to put it in practice before you go home. I'm going to put this right here. The team's going to lead us in a song that declares that truth. That when we fight, we're going to fight on our knees, right? We're going to come and we're going to lay it at his feet. And he's going to free us from these runaway thoughts. So as the team begins, I just want to invite you, come up to the front, drop it in the box. You don't have to put your name on it. And then can I, can I invite you to stay up here for a few moments? And once you drop it in there, to practice this rejoicing principle, declare these truths in song over your life for a few moments. Can we do that? I invite you to come as the team leads.
us in our spirit, but also in our mind and our emotions, that you are the God of our entire being, and nothing is separated from you. And as we heard in the word this morning, and as we put that into practice each and every day, we are strengthened and we can walk closer to you, and we're so thankful for that, Father. We thank you for your word. Amen. You can return to your seats now. We're getting ready to um, respond in giving to what we heard this morning. But before we do that, we have a couple of announcements that we need to make. And the first one is that we have a video we'd like you to watch. Fountain of Life Church has many amazing teams that help to make our gatherings special and unique every single week. This month, we're taking time to honor and recognize all those that serve on host team. Host team is more than just a smiling face, although we have the best smiling faces around, I think. But we work hard every week to create a comfortable and friendly environment so everyone can be open to the truth of God's word. Host team is made up of the prep team, greeter team, usher team, and our wonderful table hosts. From the door to the table, we are strategically positioned to ensure people truly feel cared for and are seen, heard, and known each week. We want to take this time to say thank you to all of our current volunteers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you're interested in joining this amazing team, please visit the app or the website, click on the Serve tab, and sign up. It is that simple to start helping yourself and others connect with God, church, and your purpose. Let's give a hand to our host team and all the great work that they do every week. Next, we have 
one of our elders, Ron Ward, with an announcement. Good morning, y'all. Yeah, um, I'm one of your elders, and my name's Ron. So, in case I forget. <laughs> Love you, Joe. <clears throat> So you know that in 1994, the American Christian Organization Focus on the Family set aside one month out of the year as Pastor Appreciation Month, okay? So we are in October, and I just wanna remind you guys that if you haven't done so already, show your appreciation to our pastor. Um, You know, a lot of things happen here at the fountain, <clears throat> and uh, this is a great place to be, a great place to come, and a great place to worship. And, and I just personally want to say thank you to Pastor Joe. I appreciate you so much for what you've done. He's not only the only one on our softball team who so far has hit a home run over the fence, but I think it's incredibly symbolic, Pastor Joe, that here at the fountain you're knocking it out of the and we love you for it. We thank you for it. You guys, hey, there's several ways that you guys can give. You can write it on the envelope and designate it pastor appreciation. Put it in the buckets. I forget, you can do it online. You can do it online. Just go online and do it. Um, also, make sure that you thank him in such a way. Write him a note. Give him a card. And don't forget, okay, that he's not just pastor of this church. He's also a husband. And he's a, fan, a, a father of four children, okay? So be, be mindful of those things too. Next week, we will also uh, be taking up an offering, special offering, just for Pastor Joe. And we want you guys to be ready for that. Be ready to get it. We love you, Pastor Joe. And I just want to let you know. Ron already mentioned that we have three ways to give. You can give online through the app or the website. We have buckets at the back as you're leaving. You can drop your offering in, in that. Or you can give through the mail at the address that's on the screen. We have a lot going on this next couple of weeks. On, um, we are still collecting candy because next Saturday we are partnering with Scholars Academy next door for their fall festival. And so we want to be sure that we've got enough candy that we can give out to the kids. We don't want to just give them like one little piece here and one little piece there. We want to be able to give them handfuls and bless them and then send them home to their mom and dad when they're all sugared up, right? That's what grandparents do. The second thing that's happening is that we have, oh, we also still need, need trunks. So if you'd like to decorate your car, the trunk of your car, and um, put a game with it to be one of those people that passes out candy, see Jason and he can still sign you up for that. The following week we have Family Fifth Sunday. And that's the week that our kids get to come into and worship with us. And we're delighted to have them. It's always a really, really fun time. And we're also going to be serving pie afterwards. So how often do we get to have pie? I mean, that's really cool. So be sure you're here next week. Also next week, we have 
the um, uh, partnership lounge. And we, instead of just being a member, you know, kind of like Costco where you get your card and you go in and you pay every time you get something, that's what a member does. A partnership is somebody that comes into agreement with you. Kind of like a marriage a bit, you know, you've got that partnership going on and you work together. So if you're part of our congregation, but you haven't yet become a partner, please sign up. You can sign up out at the hub. You can sign up online. That will be um, October the 29th as well. This Sunday is also Mission Sunday. A lot going on. On Mission Sunday, the offering that we take, unless it's specifically marked for tithes, goes to support the missionaries that we work with around the world. So we want to be sure that they are not just simply surviving as they're overseas or as they are um, working here in the United States. We want them to be able to thrive, not just survive. We want them to thrive. And so we take an offering every month and we distribute that to those that, we, that are in partnership with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that we have the opportunity to worship you each and every Sunday. That we can come together and we can encourage and bless each other. That we can hear from you a word that not only affects our spirit, but will get into our mind and our emotions and change us entirely as a whole person. We thank you for that, Father. I thank you, Lord, that we are a giving church. You give us opportunities to give, and we respond abundantly. And I thank you. I ask, Father, that you bless what's given today, that we will then use that to bless others who don't know you. I thank you in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. As the band sings this morning, let's stand. Let's greet each other and have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.